0: Good to see each one of you here tonight. We do have visitors with us tonight and we want you to know that you are our welcome guest and we want you to feel welcome to come back at any time. And we hope that our study tonight as well as our singing, the prayers, the reading of God's word all are uplifting because it is our purpose here to give God the glory, the honor and the praise that is due to his wonderful matchless name. Last Sunday evening, I began a series of lessons from the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a very encouraging, interesting, and sometimes even entertaining book, but it is also one that can be puzzling. It can have some difficult sections in it, and it's going to be our purpose to try to study the book with the hope in mind that we're able to see the lessons which Solomon has presented The book has some somber reflections on the world in which we live, and Solomon expresses it, that which is under the sun. Sometimes when people read the book of Ecclesiastes, they walk away and they say, that book is depressing to me. But Solomon is asking the question in chapter 1, which is what we're going to study tonight, is what does man get out of life? Notice chapter 1 and verse 3 with me. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? When we ask the question, what profit are we going to derive from it? Profit is often the great motivator for action. For instance, it's what causes businessmen to get up and uh, work hard each and every day. It's what causes the farmer to work hard to plant the seed, to be able to work his crop Hopefully for the harvest which will bring him a profit. How many of us would show up for work if there were no paychecks? You see, profit is a great motivator. And Solomon is trying in the book of Ecclesiastes to get man to look at where this all ends. And I will tell you, as we will in each of our lessons, chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is what it's all about. Solomon will go through a number of points to derive for us the fact that everything is about God and is about eternity. Some may think Solomon's ponderings, and I'm using the discussions each and every week to be the ponderings of the preacher, that it's depressing. But when you look at life without a Savior, when you look at life with no future to behold, life is depressing. In First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19, Paul would say, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. The original word indicates somebody who's to be pitied because they're in a miserable state. If all life is, for those of us who want to serve God, is just the here and now, we have very little to be excited about. But if there is a future, we have so much about which to be excited. When I began reading chapter 1, and this time, in the preparation for this lesson, it made me think of what occurred almost 31, 32 years ago. I sat in a class taught by Brother Thomas B. Warren. The title of the class was Philosophical Ethics. I remember thinking very vividly I do not belong in this class. I am not interested in understanding and reading what all the philosophers have to say. Brother Warren would say, everyone needs to have a good education. But then he would say to those of us who were preachers, he would say, you need to be prepared to deal with the problems that you're going to confront in this world. And he would also emphasize that the Bible has the answer to every problem that man may raise up. And as I was reading chapter 1, I thought... Brother Warren, you were right, because the book of Ecclesiastes confronts a false philosophy called existentialism. And I will tell you, I'm not going to deal a lot with existentialism. I just want to introduce it to you so that you can see it in chapter 1. Existentialism focuses on the individual, and it says the individual exists, and he exists in a world with freedom. But then existentialism turns around and says, but man can't do anything about it. That he's just like a hamster on one of those little wheels that he's just running and he feels like he can never accomplish anything. He's just running on a wheel. Or we might would say like a dog chasing his tail. Never going to accomplish anything. There was a famous existentialist named Jean-Paul Sartre. He's a French philosopher. And his writings are considered to be the standard for the philosophy of existentialism. And when you read his books, which I had to, the first one was, is Being and Nothingness. Do you see the depression in that? You exist, but you're nothing. He wrote a play after that called No Exit. You think about it. No way to get out of the problems, the difficulties of life. Everything, we're just here, and there's nothing we can do about it. Let me give you a couple of quotes from a couple of modern day existentialists. You'll recognize at least one of them, but they are reflective of the attitude. Woody Allen said, There's this old joke. Two elderly women are in the Catskill Mountains Resort, and one of them says, Boy, the food at this place is really terrible. The other one says, yeah, I know in such small portions. Well, essentially, that's how I feel about life. Full of loneliness, misery, suffering, and unhappiness. And it's all over much too quickly. You hear the the misery of life, but life is over quick. There's not much you can do about it. Peter Peter Devries says, If you want my final opinion on the mystery of life and all that, I can give it to you in a nutshell. The universe is like a safe to which there is a combination, but the combination is locked up in the safe. That's what these guys write over and over and over again. We're free, but there's nothing to do. Life is miserable, but life is too short. Now see if Solomon does not address that in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to talk about two things, which is an outline, if you will, of chapter 1. The first part is the failure of the physical world. I'm talking about the physical world we live in. Solomon's going to talk about that. Then number two is going to be the failure of the philosophical world. One deals with matter, the other deals with ideas. And it's amazing how Solomon presents this in such a simple fashion so we can all grasp it. First thing he does is to talk about how the world goes around in circles. I want to go back to the passage Brother Ricky read for us just a few moments ago. And I want to call your attention. Look at each verse individually as we read it and contemplate, think about what Solomon has said. One generation passes away, and another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. You see, that it begins with in verse 4 the life cycle. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains. You think about yourself in the life in which you now live. What have you seen? You've gone to the funeral homes and you have visited the dearly departed. Almost it seems at the same time you go to the nurseries at the hospital to see the new babies being born. This past week, thinking about this particular verse, I pulled out one of the old church directories from when I moved here. This one's gone, this one's gone, this one's gone, this one's gone. But the attendance is close to the same. But this family's new. Now this family has six kids in their family. You see, there's been a generation that has passed... Generations come, generations go, but the world stays here forever. And you look at life, and it looks like it is a cycle that goes around. People coming in, people going out. Look at verse 5. Solomon's going to say, the sun also. When you words also, it indicates this is in a similar fashion. It rises, it sets, and it does it all over again. In fact, it does it with such regularity that you turn on your news And what they will tell you is the sun will rise tomorrow at 6.01 a.m. The next day it will rise at 6 a.m. They can even tell you the time the sun is going to rise because it's become predictable. It's a cycle that you see taking place over and over again. Notice verse 6. The wind blows, he says, to the south and then turns to the north and it, like a whirlwind coming back, it's going, it's coming back, it's going, it's coming back. He says it returns on its circuit. A circuit indicates it has a direction that it goes and it returns back again. The wind becomes predictable. You ever heard of El Nino and La Nina? Solomon is able to observe this physical world. Then look at verse 7. He talks about the rain. He says... It fills the rivers that flow into the ocean, and the ocean is not full. Why? Because of, he doesn't say it, but you know it, it evaporates. The moisture then comes over the land, cools, and then falls in the form of rain, flows into the rivers, and they turn around, and it goes all and all over again, what we sometimes call the rain cycle. Does it seem like the world goes in circles? Solomon has already given us four indications of that. But you see, this physical world cannot satisfy man's need to know what he needs to know. Look at verse 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Everything is exhausting. And such is the meaning of the word full of labor. He's talking about people who who are exhausted when they try to understand it all. They try to contemplate it all. And man is incapable, unable to express the intricacies of this world. This morning, I was reading about the difference between fish oil and krill oil. And found out what a krill is. And why it's valuable to take krill oil. You know, man has just begun to understand just some, just some of the things of this world. And you start trying to understand DNA. You start trying to understand all of the various species of life that's just here on this earth. The eye will never be satisfied, nor the ear full of hearing. Why? Because everything that is in this world. It is estimated that less than 10% of the oceans have been explored. Less than 10%. The eye, if I live long enough, could never be able myself to understand half of this world but what if I understood it all Solomon is going to point out even that would not be sufficient the reason why is there's nothing new look with me at verses 9 and 10 that which has been done is what will be that which is done is what will be done and there's no new thing under the sun Is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. It has been already in ancient times before us. Observe with me a few things here. Even ideas are cyclical. You know, we think we're a brilliant group of people because we live in a democracy. As if we somehow invented it. But the Greeks were debating democracy even before our Lord was born to this earth. And I am sure that there were people who had gotten together and said, let's decide together rather than letting one person tell us a long time before that. People think that they have discovered something new, but it was here all along. That's the reason why the Bible is so relevant today to men. People want to say, well, you know, the Bible's an old book. It's over 2,000 years old, and it has no relevance to modern life. But if you look, and you look at the problems of men today and the problems that are reflected in the Bible, and there they are, one by one. Scientists are now just discovering the uses of plants that were known to have cures thousands of years ago. They're not discovering anything. It's just like when Columbus arrived to the new world. He discovered the new world. I'm sorry, there were already people here. How do you discover something that's not been lost? Solomon is looking at this and he says, there's nothing new. The Athenians were on a hopeless pursuit. Acts 17 verse 21. And for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. Hate to tell the Athenians this, but there are no new things. Now Solomon is going to move from this physical world to the philosophical world in verses 12 through 18. I want you to notice carefully with me these words that are found here because Solomon's going to transition from the cycles in the world to the search in the philosophical world. He would say, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task god has given to the son of man by which they may be exercised i have seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed all is vanity and grasping for wind what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered i commune with my heart saying look I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. Why do I use the word philosophy? You may not know it, but the word philosophy is a compound word which means lover of wisdom. The first part of that word, P-H-I-L, is from the Greek word phileo, which means to love. The last part of the word is from Sophia, Which means wisdom. So literally it means one who loves wisdom. And Solomon said that it was his quest here in this passage, in verse 13, to seek and search out by wisdom. That was the means by which he was going to seek the answers to the question of life. And what is he going to learn? What is he going to find? He's going to find out that there are two kinds of wisdom. Now, he's not going to present it at this point. But let me point out to you that the Bible, the rest of the Bible, clearly distinguishes between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. Let me give you a couple of real quick illustrations. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Paul said, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Notice you've got God's wisdom and man's wisdom. And man's wisdom refuses to acknowledge God passage that really captures my attention though is James chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 and James is discussing about strife and envy and the kind of difficulties that's going to arise between brethren and here's the way he puts it who is wise and understanding among you let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Did you hear James talk about the two different kinds of wisdom? Solomon, in this passage, is looking at worldly wisdom. And it can't suffice. And there's a key phrase in verses 14 and 15. He talks about that which is done under the sun. 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about that which is done under the sun. Under the sun, under the sun. He's talking about this world, this life, the philosophers of this world. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed all is vanity and grasping for wind. Now listen carefully to his statement here in verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered. One cannot discern how to straighten out the crooked. You can't figure it out from this world. and You let the philosophers, and they're trying to figure out the meaning of life and how to live your everyday life. And apart from God, there are no answers. And then he says one cannot discern how to count the lacking. What is missing? you're looking to this world and the philosophers of this world you will not find it that's the reason why there's so much confusion well i want to point you to verses 16 through 18 it wasn't because solomon was not wise enough in this world it can't be derived from worldly wisdom He says, I commune with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive this also as grasping after wind for much wisdom is much grief and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. He said, I communed with my heart. Have you ever talked to yourself? Solomon said, That's what I did. I communed with my heart. And yet he was the wisest man on the face of this earth. He talks about the knowledge he had gained more than all who were before him in Jerusalem. I want you to listen to First Kings four. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Thus Solomon excelled in wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and Kalkal and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now, listen carefully to verse 33. And he also spoke of trees, from the cedar of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He also spoke of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and fish, and all the nations from whom the kings of earth who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear of the wisdom of Solomon. Verse 33, I think, is very important. Because just like he's talked about the the rain cycle, the wind cycle, the life cycle, the sun cycle, he's looking at this earth, he's searching, and he says, it's just trying to grab the wind. I can't capture it. I can't get it. Now here's why it is not sufficient. For all of his wisdom that Solomon had, it could not help him stop from making the mistakes of life. I want you to listen to 1 Kings chapter 11 King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from whom the nations of the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Here's a man with wisdom. But folks, the difference is wisdom can't save you. Fearing God and keeping His commandments can. Poor old Solomon saw failure in the physical world. Poor old Solomon saw failure in the philosophical world. I titled the lesson, Will the Cycle Be Unbroken? And that's really from verses 4 through 7. It seems like a generation's born, a generation dies. A generation born, generations die. And it would be easy for a person to just look at this physical world and philosophize about it and come away and say, everything's just been the same way since the beginning. 2 Peter 3 4. And they say, Where's the promise of his coming? For the fathers fell asleep. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so tomorrow morning we expect to see the sun rise. We expect to see the wind blow. We expect to see a new generation arise. And yes, we even expect to see our loved ones pass on. Will this cycle be unbroken? Most certainly. There will be an end to all things. And one must be ready. For the spiritual realm. That's where the existentialists fall short. They don't see the future and what it beholds. I hope tonight, for just a moment, we focused your attention on eternity and on the life that is to come and the blessings that are to be a part of it. If you're not a Christian... We extend the Lord's invitation to you that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, then to be baptized, the Lord will add you to His church. Your name will be written on the roll of the Lamb's book of life. You remain faithful, and when this life is over, you have nothing to worry about. But we do recognize that at times faithfulness seems to be difficult for us. And we do stumble, we do fall, and yet we have a loving Lord who is willing to receive us home when we come back. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord, would you come as we stand and sing?